It's Thursday, March the 10th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Russia strikes Children's Hospital, an aid package from America. First, the world in brief. A children's hospital in Mariupol, a city in Ukraine, was destroyed by Russian airstrikes, according to the city's council. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, said children were under the rubble. He called it the, quote, ultimate evidence of genocide. The mayor of Kharkiv, another city, said it was being continuously shelled. Earlier, Ukraine and Russia committed to cease fighting around certain Ukrainian towns and cities on Wednesday in order for civilians to be evacuated along six, quote, humanitarian corridors. Mariupol was supposed to be one of those cities. Mr. Zelensky said that 35,000 civilians had managed to flee from the others. American congressional leaders agreed to a $13.6 billion aid package to help with the war in Ukraine, and the International Monetary Fund approved $1.4 billion in emergency funding for the country. More than $4 billion of America's funding will go to Eastern European countries coping with an influx of refugees, according to the Associated Press, which reported the deal. President Joe Biden had asked for $10 billion, but bipartisan support was so high that the figure grew. American stock markets clawed back some of the ground they had lost in the past few days. The S&P index closed 2.6% higher, and the Nasdaq rose by 3.6%, as investors apparently became optimistic that the economic effects of Russia's invasion might be weathered. Asian markets followed suit in early trading. The price of Brent crude oil fell by 13% to $111 a barrel, as producers hinted they could increase the flow of the black stuff. More Western companies abandoned the Russian market. Carlsberg said it would no longer sell its beer in the country, where it is the best-selling brand. Thirsty Russians will soon have to forego Heineken too. Meanwhile, Rio Tinto, an Anglo-Australian mining giant, said it was cutting all its ties with Russian businesses. Ukraine's government banned the export of several food products, including rye, barley and millet, until the end of the year, presumably to combat shortages. The ban could lead to shortages and price rises elsewhere, which already threatened to spread hunger in the Middle East and Africa. Earlier, Ukraine imposed export licenses, but not an outright ban on wheat, corn and sunflower oil. Wheat prices have spiked in recent days on fears of disrupted supply. Russia and Ukraine are both large producers of the grain. The White House said that Russia may be searching for a pretext to launch a chemical or biological weapon attack in Ukraine. It came after Russia said it had uncovered a US-funded bioweapons program in Ukraine, a, quote, preposterous claim that seemed to be echoed by China's foreign ministry. Earlier, Ukraine warned of the danger to its nuclear facilities. After fighting around Chernobyl, a defunct plant caused a power cut on Wednesday, it said there was a danger of a radiation leak, downplayed by the International Atomic Energy Agency. Other news. Yun Suk-yul, the main opposition candidate from the Conservative People Power Party, 
narrowly won South Korea's presidential election, beating Lee Jae-myung of the governing Democratic Party. Mr Biden issued an executive order on cryptocurrencies, ordering government agencies to work together when regulating the sector. He did not announce any specific regulatory measures, and the price of Bitcoin rose on the news. Scientists discovered the endurance, Ernest Shackleton's lost Antarctic ship. It appears to be in very good condition. The first person to receive a heart transplant from a pig died two months after the operation. And fact of the day, 70%, the proportion of India's military arsenal that is Russian-made. And now, here's today's agenda. Peace talks in Turkey. In a normal year, millions of Ukrainians and Russians would spend their holidays sunbathing and drinking together in Antalya, Turkey's biggest seaside resort town. A meeting there between the Russian and Ukrainian foreign ministers on Thursday will be much less convivial. Turkey's foreign minister, Mevlut Cavusoglu, will host Russia's Sergei Lavrov and Ukraine's Dmitry Kuleba. His position between the two men reflects that of his country in the conflict so far. As a NATO member, Turkey has supplied drones to Ukraine, but its president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, wants to avoid badly offending his friend, Vladimir Putin. The invasion of Ukraine has killed thousands and displaced millions. The two countries are still talking. But three rounds of discussion, two of which were held in Belarus, a Russian ally, have proved fruitless. These will be the highest level peace talks since the start of the war. Even a handshake between the two sides would be a triumph. Another rise in American inflation. When President Joe Biden announced a ban on imports of Russian oil, he acknowledged that Americans would feel pain at the pump. Drivers were already squirming. Petrol prices are at a record high in nominal terms, with a gallon costing $4.17 on average, up by more than 20% in a month. The ban will send prices even higher. Dira Energy is driving inflation. Data released on Thursday are expected to show that the consumer price index rose by 7.9% in the year to February. Economists expect inflation to reach 8% in March, before tempering in April. The better news is that aside from oil, prices in America are largely insulated from the crisis in Ukraine. Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, has promised to, quote, proceed cautiously in light of recent uncertainty. The central bank plans to raise interest rates by 0.25 percentage points on March 16th with several more increases expected before the year is out. Why Z is for Putin The last letter of the Latin alphabet has become the symbol of support for Russia's war in Ukraine. Some theorised that, quote, Z, spotted on the side of Russian tanks before the invasion, was shorthand for, quote, Zapad, quote, West in Russian, or made a target of Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky. Military analysts instead reckon the quote Z helps Russians distinguish their own side. 
The country's propaganda machine has turned the letter into the operation's unofficial logo. RT, a Russian television network, sells, quote, Z t-shirts. On March 5th, a Russian gymnast sported the symbol while standing next to a Ukrainian at a competition in Qatar. A children's hospice lined patients up in a Z formation for a photograph. The symbol had never been associated with Vladimir Putin's regime before. Officials have adopted it to demonstrate allegiance to their leader. And increasingly, it is being used to try to intimidate those who oppose him. India's biggest state delivers its verdict on the BJP. Over the past month, 150 million voters in Uttar Pradesh have taken part in the largest sub-national election in the world. On Thursday, their choices will be revealed. Exit polls suggest the Hindu nationalist Bharatiya Janata Party, which currently runs both the state and the country, will return to power, but with a smaller majority. Any win for the BJP would be a significant achievement. One during a pandemic and amid widespread economic misery, even more so. For more than 30 years, no party has had two consecutive terms in the state assembly. The BJP's leader in Uttar Pradesh, Yogi Adityanath, a fiery Hindu priest, is heir apparent to Narendra Modi, the country's prime minister. The BJP is also likely to win three of the four smaller states which held elections. Only Punjab is set to elude it. The state's largely Sikh voters have always rejected the party's brand of politics. Much of India, however, seems to remain in its thrall. A Ukrainian reading list Serhii Plohi, the most distinguished historian of Ukrainian writing in English, published The Gates of Europe in 2015. The book covers the many centuries in which the territory of Ukraine was plundered and invaded from every direction. Mr. Plohi shows how Ukrainian language, culture and identity flourished in adversity, which helps explain why, though they have only recently gained a state of their own, Ukrainians are fighting heroically to defend it. For other insights into Ukraine's history, Read Anne Applebaum's Red Famine on the Holodomor, the starvation inflicted by Stalin from 1932 to 1933. Anne reads Borderland, a blend of memoir, travelogue and history, and Marcy Shaw's The Ukrainian Night, an account of the pro-democracy uprising in the winter of 2013 to 2014 and its continuing aftermath. The region's great fiction writers deserve a hearing too. Try Isaac Babel's Odessa stories, tales of the city's pre-revolutionary Jewish gangsters, and Andrei Kirchhoff's Death and the Penguin, which captures the lurid realities of post-Soviet life. Daily Quiz Arboristas will serve you a new question each day. On Friday, your challenge is to give all five answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 5pm GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. Which monarch, on the day of his execution, wore two shirts to prevent him from shivering and appearing afraid? 
Yesterday's question, which was the last province to enter the Confederation of Canada in 1949? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Ina Coolberth, who was born on this day in 1841. Where is the peace that should with thee abide, O earth? That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 